Hi, everyone. Um, first off, I want to say thanks to the team for inviting me to share tonight. I'm really passionate about sung worship. Um, yeah, especially like, the musical expression of worship is just awesome. And it's not only, um, you know, it's not only one way that we worship God, but it's both commanded in the scriptures as well as something that God takes real delight in. Um, I'm usually one of the ones actually making the music. So if you notice me suddenly stand in some kind of odd air guitar stance, just humor me, go with it. Um, it's more of my comfort to have a guitar in my hand. <laughs> um, but what was great is when I was researching um, about sung worship in the Bible, there's around 400 references um, in the scriptures. And so I didn't read all of them but you know if there's that many then that's something that you know I think we should be paying attention to so what um, we're going to do just for this little moment is to look at some of those scriptural references um the fun thing about the ones that I did read, <laughs> you know, only like 200 of them, um, is um, the context of sung worship in the scriptures. There's just so many different types of context that people are singing. So the first one that we're going to look at is in Exodus 15, and it's where the Israelites have just been delivered from slavery in Egypt. So God's done these massive wonderful miracles um, and the song that they sing is actually telling a story so it's both praising God and it's storytelling so it's less of like you know the rhythm of like rhyme and chorus verse chorus bridge low bridge big bridge ta-da it's an actual story um, which is a which is something that they could then pass down the generations um, as well as praising God so that was one one of the contexts of sung worship Another can be found in the New Testament um, in a lot of the letters to the early churches, encouraging the church to keep singing to the Lord. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 18 to 20, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And then in Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Their context as new churches was in one hand real celebration at the growth of God's kingdom um, since Jesus had died, but then on the other hand they're experiencing crazy horrible persecution um, as the message of Jesus wasn't actually accepted by everyone. Some of their loved ones are dying or are put into prison. So it's a real you know, parallel of like, celebration and grief. And yet they're encouraged to keep singing. One of um, the examples of sung worship is found in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are in prison. And as they sing, the earth shakes and the prison doors are opened, which is incredible to think that a moment of sung worship joins with a miracle from heaven and changes something on earth. Worship is for God, but by his grace, he blesses us by changing things here on the earth. And when I think about sung worship, I kind of imagine us coming before God and it being just for him and about him. The idea, too, of joining in with a song of heaven that's also talked about in Revelation, where John has a vision of heaven and there's this eternal song being sung. It says in Revelation 4, verse 8, day and night, they never stop singing. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And in verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This eternal song happening. And then I think another reference that we're probably a bit more familiar with would be the Psalms. Again, coming from all sorts of different contexts, some of celebration, some of sorrow expressions of truth of circumstance being both good and bad and also the truth of God's nature that he is good and he's steadfast 
And apart from one psalm, they all pretty much resolve in this praise of God, to praise him come what may. These songs that we've just looked at really briefly, they edify God's people by telling of his, true, of his deeds, of his nature. And I just find it so incredible that God receives our songs and he happily accepts these heartfelt songs of him that we can be totally honest to him. One of my favorite psalms for its realness is in Psalm 13 and it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. There's power in our song, in declaration, in singing praise at times despite how we feel. And I like what Will said last week about worship's not being, uh, not about us doing it because we feel like it, but doing it because God's worthy. But I was thinking the music aspect of it kind of does conjure up some feelings. Um, I studied music and theology a few years ago, and one of our classes actually looked at the matching of melody and lyric, um, and how, you know, when we're writing worship songs, there's this real intention behind it. Um, and that you can get feelings from, from the way that you write some songs. And so I was thinking, like, what would be an example of a song kind of flipped on its head? So you all know the song, I'm walking on sunshine, whoa. If you flip it on its head and go, I'm walking on sunshine, you kind of don't feel like you're walking on sunshine. It's a little bit like, oh, are you? Are you being ironic? Are you okay? Do you need a little hug? Um, and so it's sort of a little bit of a jokey example of melody and lyric. But... Um, you know, there's the slight science behind it. And it's not that, um, you know, as worship leaders and songwriters, when we're thinking about these things, we're not doing it to sort of manipulate the congregation to make them, you know, go a certain way because we made it happen. But, you know, because we're really wanting to bring that connection in worship to the Lord. And when we're thinking about these songs, we're thinking, are they, um, you know, what are the lyrics? Are they easy? Are they hard? Is it memorable? Is it edifying Christ's church? Is it speaking of God's truth? We really want our songs to be connecting us to worshipping our God. And also like bringing in the fun to sing. It says that he takes delight in our singing, whether it's in key or way off. And I was thinking, what are moments of taking great delight? And like the idea of kids, you know, when they bring something that's not quite great, but it's very delightful. Um, you know, when uh, I've got two sisters and when we were all younger, we would, you know, whether they wanted it or not, we would perform the whole of Beauty and the Beast in its entirety. Um, my elder sister would be Belle, I would be all men, you know, Gaston, the Beast, whoever. Um, <laughs> and, and we had so much fun doing it and the audience had great delight in our subpar performance of Beauty and the Beast. And it's really, yeah, it's just so sweet to, to sort of think on that. And it's quite a cutesy example, but when you think about delight, what does delight look like? It says in Zephaniah 3, verse 17, that he rejoices over you with singing. And so as we walk out and work out our salvation, we're looking to grow into God's likeness. And so as he delights in us in song, we're called to delight and celebrate him in song. And I was thinking too of moments of celebration and, and a wedding came to mind and you know, the lovely Laura and Will got married in November last year. Um, and I was just thinking of the dance floor moment, not necessarily excellent dancing, but real celebration, like often just jump, apart from you two, of course, you know. <laughs> 
exception to the rule, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. But most of us, you get those real pumping songs. It's more just sort of jumping, like, you know, maybe in time, maybe in not. But you're just, it's reckless abandon, it's celebration. And I was thinking, if we're bringing those moments of celebration into our times of worship, what would that look like? To celebrate our God who made us, who died for us, who lives within us and is totally for us. He accepts our worship songs and he loves them. And I know that sometimes with circumstances, we don't want to jump. We don't want to bop about and sing praises because of our own grief or pain. And I've had countless occasions of just ugly sobs in the corner, just of uh, the pain and grief of life and not necessarily being able to join in the songs specifically, but still just showing up and standing up and just saying, God, I'm here. My lips aren't moving, but my heart is joining in in this song of de declaring your truth your goodness, that you are worthy of praise because our sung praise really changes things. We come together. We join in with the song of heaven. We remember that God is good. He loves us. He redeemed us. Music is on his heart and songs of praise and declaration have brought his people through time and time again. Our songs have blessed God and in his incredible grace and generosity, he then blesses us as we sing. He deposits and grows truth, faith, hope, and love. Together we come and we sing a joyful noise to the Lord. We shout aloud to the rock of our salvation and we bring our heart of worship to him. And I'm going to pass on to the incredible Mr. Samuel Ricketts. Great. Thanks, Laura. Uh, I'm going to be speaking about the importance of corporate worship, uh, and I'm going to read from John uh, 4, verse 23. Uh, before I do, what I found really interesting about uh, reading around corporate worship, um, there's no kind of one long passage of text, um, which was really annoying, actually, um, but rather there's lots of single verses really punctuated throughout the Bible, sowing the theme uh, through the Old Testament and New. Uh, so I'll read just, just one verse. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Isn't that wild? That our God would actively seek people to worship him. Again, we see in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 9, but the Lord called to the man, that's Adam, where are you? Uh, and that's, it's not just, you know, God, we see that with Jesus as well. When Jesus crucified, there's a, there's a people gathered around him. Last year, we actually did a sermon series here called The Running Father, where um, we see a father radically chase down his son in pursuit of a reckless love. Um, part of that chasing is wanting uh, God to be worshipped. But wait, what? Do we, do we serve a needy God? But it's, that's only when we view worship through the lens of the world rather than through the king that we serve. And actually, I think the worship team demonstrated that really well uh, with one of our songs. You are worthy of it all. We, yeah, we serve a God who is worthy of it all. And also, um, worship is as much for God. It's, it's for us as well. It transforms us. Uh, the author, Thomas Kelly, writes this about corporate worship and what it offers in really small text, apparently. Uh, <laughs> A quickening presence pervades us, breaking down some part of the special privacy and isolation of our individual lives, 
and blending our spirits within a super individual life and power. An objective, dynamic presence enfolds us all, nourishes our soul, speaks glad, unutterable comforts with us, and quickens us in depths that have been slumbering. Yes, I want that. Don't you want that? And don't fall over enthusiasm or anything. <laughs> Uh, so the importance of corporate worship. I'm going to talk just about two points of corporate worship. First of all, how it's biblical. And second of all, how um, uh, corporate worship is pragmatic. So it sounds like you're in for a real roller coaster ride. Um, so on the first point, it's in the epistles we see a lot of evidence of corporate worship. Um, by the way, it took me an embarrassingly long amount of time as a Christian to know what the difference was between apostles and epistles. Whenever anyone said epistles, I just thought that they'd mispronounced apostles. And I was like, that's so embarrassing for you. Um, But now, yeah, anyway, longer of tooth now. Um, But um, uh, really the heart of worship is seen in Acts, where there's there's loads of examples of them worshipping adversity. Um, Acts 2 verse 42 says this. um, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In that uh, part in Acts, uh, the word fellowship comes from the Greek word um, koinonia, um, and that's true because my sister is a ordained minister, and I checked in with her to make sure that was true. Even the pronunciation. Koinonia. Nailed it. Um, thank you very much. And the, yeah, the wittering at the, at the first part there, that's not someone speaking in tongues, that's actually just my niece, who actually, the same niece earlier on this week, um, uh, my sister said, you're being such a drama queen. And she replied completely just like straight, I'm not a drama queen, I'm a drama princess. <laughs> Which I think we can all agree is, is iconic. Um, but that Greek word koinonia, it comes, uh, which is this, it's this deep inward fellowship uh, in the power of the Spirit. And that, that koinonia is what we're afforded when we engage in corporate worship. The second part is pragmatic. So um, a part of that is selection. Matt, our worship pastor, who's going to speak in a second, uh, and the leadership team at St. Dee's, they're very intentional and prayerful about what songs we do and what songs we don't do. Um, there are songs or even verses within songs that they don't do because they don't believe it's representative of the majesty of God's love. Uh, There's one verse in How Great Thou Art that particularly grinds Matt's gears. Um, I I don't really understand why, but I I just kind of smile and nod, being like, yeah, too right, mate. Um, But actually, that's okay, because what I'm doing there is I'm trusting that our church is curating worship that helps me to achieve more revelation. Secondly, it helps us to take up the posture of worship. Uh, So, from uh, the Hebrew root to worship translates as to prostrate, and bless literally means to kneel. Uh, Thanksgiving refers to an extension of the hand. So, when we throw our hands up in worship, um, actually, you know, with the right attitude, it's not for looks, um, but it's us looking to engage in active worship. Um, If someone walks in late to our church, I've noticed, um, but, you know, very rarely happens, um, you can see when they come in, they're quite hurried. They're kind of like, they're a bit hunched over. They kind of scuttle through to the back. Um, but very quickly, they're swept up with the atmosphere that corporate worship, the corporate worship that we've all created, um, they're swept up with it. And very quickly, a stillness is upon them. Um, and finally, to speak to pragmatism, 
we're all human and we're not going to be 100% in it all of the time. I spoke to my mum about doing this talk and she confessed to me, oh yeah, sometimes in worship I'm like so there, but sometimes I just look around the congregation and go, I wonder if she's had her hair done. Um, but uh, I'm not any better. I will profess that at times wondering more about the 4.30 kickoff score than about the boundlessness of God's love. Um, if I'm really honest with myself, I'm not sure that Sky Sports moving the main fixture of the football on the weekend to 4.30 on a Sunday is what Paul was referring to um, when he said that we share abundantly with the suffering of Christ. Um, I've noted a few eye rolls there. Um, that's firm but fair. Um, but it's like an exodus when, when Moses is praying over the battle um, against the Amalekites. So he's like got his hands in the air and he's praying over the battle. And when his hands are raised, they're winning. And when his hands lower, then um, the Amalekites are winning. Um, and he gets really tired because he's like dead old at this point. So he gets um, Aaron and her to literally like hold up his hands um, so that he can keep his hands up and keep, and keep praying. Um, I just... When I was reading that, I just love the idea of like Aaron like going back to his wife and be like, oh, babe, we, we won the battle, actually. And she's like, I'm, I'm so proud of you. What is it specifically that you did during the battle? And he used to go, ah, details. Headline, we won the battle. Um, but I actually think it's, it's a great example. It's a great analogy towards sometimes how we feel in worship, right? Which is um, that... Sometimes we're running on empty. Sometimes, like Moses, we don't have the strength, and so we need corporately other people to achieve that. Um, and finally, um, so Richard Foster, in his brilliant book, Celebration of Discipline, um, which is, yeah, brilliant. It's a real reference book on, like, how to be a Christian. Um, the Bible's pretty hot on that as well. But, uh, but Celebration of Discipline is a great book, and he um, just recommends one idea, which I think is beautiful. Uh, which is that if you're feeling particularly full at that moment, you go to the back of church, but you witness people that maybe that aren't, they've got hot, kind of hunched over shoulders or they're a bit quieter, um, is actually interceding for them, just silently at the back, just, just praying over people when we're worshipping. And I love that idea of actually corporate worship. We're, we're the body of Christ, right? We're, we're bringing everyone up. Um, so... We worship corporately to achieve what individually we can't and to engage in the fellowship of seeking an encounter with him. Amen. And we're going to invite Matt to come up. Great. Oh, John, have I turned that on right? Yeah? No? Yeah? Great. Well, I, if you don't know me, I'm Matt. I have the privilege of leading the worship team here. And um, do you know what? It is... Honestly, the best thing you could ever do for a job. Doesn't mean it's not difficult, but it is the best thing you can ever do. So I've been kind of tasked with looking at how we discern what we sing and how we respond in worship, which, you know, if you ask the worship team, that's something that we took an entire team night over, just the first section. So we're going to kind of have a whistle-stop tour through that. So first and foremost... I don't know about you, what would you think about when you think about how you pick songs? I put a poll out to the worship team uh, in preparation for tonight where we asked what people's favorite songs were and what people's favorite hymns were. And uh, interestingly, one song came up 17 times when I asked different people and different friends and family. Um, And so it got me thinking, what would we do when we're choosing songs? Would you just go with, oh, 
I know that my dad, for example, loves the song The Servant King. So, you know what? If my dad was in the congregation, would I just go and say, oh, you know what, I really want my dad to engage in worship, so I'm going to pick that song for him? No, I wouldn't. Well, what if we went to the CCLI Top 100? If you don't know, CCLI is a uh, Christian copyright licensing company. Super exciting, I know. Uh, but it's a great resource for us as worship leaders and worship teams because uh, it has every possible worship song you can think of. Um, and Tim sent us a wonderful, uh, obscure him in the staff WhatsApp group this weekend. And um, I checked, it wasn't in there, Tim. So, you know, we can't actually do it. I'm really sorry. Um, if you want to know what it is, speak to Tim afterwards. I'm sure he'd be really happy to even sing it for you. Um, but it got me thinking. I went to the top 100, and I, uh, I found this list of the first top 20 at the moment. And so, you know, there's some you know, newer songs, some older songs in there. I don't know. A quick show of hands. Does anyone like some of the songs on there? Are there some songs that you like? Yeah? You know what? It'd be very easy, I think, to pick any five of those songs just to fit into your, our 25-minute little space that we like to do worship in and craft what would be a musically wonderful, lyrically brilliant, and melodically pleasing set list. And actually, we can do that, but we can completely miss what God is wanting to do in us. So, how do we discern what we sing? Well, first and foremost, it starts from something that we all get told as worship leaders when we are sort of starting out on the journey of leading worship, when you know two chords and it's all going badly, but it's that you can't lead people to where you've not been before. So actually, for us as a worship team, when we come on a Sunday, we are all coming from a place of having spent time in our weeks preparing, preparing ourselves, preparing our hearts, preparing musically to lead this wonderful body of people to the heart of God. But we can only do that if we've been there first. With me so far? Great. Um, I'll tell you now, that phrase, that you can't lead people where you've never been, is something that causes great frustration uh, for my wife. Um, when we first started dating, uh, we went on this lovely walk. It was, a, it was more of a hike, and I got in trouble for it. But it was this lovely waterfall trail in South Wales. And, you, know, you go through seven waterfalls. It's lovely. It's picturesque. But she would ask me the question of, oh, you know, how much longer is it? Or how far are we from you know, the next waterfall? And I'd be going, oh, you know, it's, just, it's a couple of minutes. You know, it's, it's just over there. It's just over there. Because I'd been there before, and I'd walked it myself, and I knew where I was going but I couldn't tell you exactly what that distance looked like or what the kind of time frame was. So what I remembered as a three and a half hour lovely round loop was actually about 12 miles of this and hours later, it wasn't great. But, uh, but ultimately that's what we're doing. We're trying to take us from a point A to a point B. We want to come in, I don't know about you, I come in some Sundays not here, just to be clear, when I'm, when I'm elsewhere. Well, I walk in and I go, you know what, I'm just, I'm just so tired. I'm worn out. And I, um, I've got uh, some friends of mine who have just had children. They have triplets. And, um, yeah, I know, ooh. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm not a parent yet, so I can't begin to imagine the tiredness. But I can tell you now, they have told me so many times, it's, it's just hard work. Getting to church, you know, getting all the kids in clothes, getting them into prams, getting them into cars, driving to church, getting out of church, and then coming in and being ready to worship. It's a, it's a difficult situation, you know. But we see a glimpse of where we want to end up in two specific passages. Um, so if you have your Bibles, 
because we haven't got anyone reading yet. If you don't have it, not an issue because I'm going to read it for you, but we're going to start. Um, uh, I, to be honest, the one thing, the beautiful thing about planning tonight is that me, Sam, and Laura, we didn't talk beforehand, and, you know, I was sitting listening to Laura going, yeah, you've poached about three of my verses, <laughs> you know. So we're going to look at it again, Revelation 4, 8 through 11. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. You're worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You know, the idea of spending eternity singing the same song. So just to be clear, get your practice in now, because we sing a whole bunch of songs now that, you know, we're going to sing the same thing, eternity. Cool. Uh, The second passage is in 2 Chronicles, and this is where uh, they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And I just want to sort of land at the very end of it, where it says, the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. I don't know about you, for me, that's a wonderful place to be aiming for, is that we can just stop and just let the Lord do what he wants to do, because his presence is so thick and so tangible that we don't have to do anything. We, don't, we can't do anything but be in his presence. So, we pick our songs for a time of worship with that in mind. Songs that reflect who God is. Songs that give praise to him. Songs that draw attention away from ourselves and put all of our attention on who God is. And finally, songs that lead us to a place of encounter. A space where we can do business with God. And I will touch on this last week. But our perspective will always have an impact on our posture of worship. It's easy to fall into the trap of saying, I didn't feel it, isn't it? You know, or my favorite one I hear quite a lot is, oh, well, you know, I enjoyed worship, but, you know, that one song, it just didn't really do it for me. You know, I hear that so much. But ultimately, we're not the center of the worshiping universe, are we? The Lord is. So actually, we need to be taking our view off of ourselves and to who he is. You know, uh, David Peterson says this, Worship, is the true, uh, worship of the true and living God is essentially an engagement with him on the terms that he proposes and in the way that he alone makes possible. So, if we have a think about how we might respond, the Bible lists a whole bunch of ways that we can respond. You know, we know that we can respond in singing. And, you know, we, we did this little thing this morning with everybody, and Will asked me the question of, well, Matt, does it matter if you can't sing? I don't know, quick show of hands, who thinks they can sing? Great, small amount of you. This is going really well. <laughs> Hands up if you don't think you can sing very well or you can't sing. That's great. Well, categorically, it's been scientifically proven that you can sing. Every human being has been able to be proven scientifically that you can sing. doesn't say how well, but that you can. Okay? Now, some people have raw talent. Some people have to work at it. I can tell you now that it was something that I had to work on quite hard. You know, if you ever, ever managed to find clips of 13-year-old Matt with his voice having not broken and singing How Great Is Our God with two chords, you'd be um, lost for words, I'd say. <laughs> be lost for words. But the point is, is that when we're singing, we are doing something. We're shifting something in ourselves. We are glorifying God with what we do. And so we are uh, able to do that, not just through singing. Um, I don't know about you, I've got lots of moments in worship that sort of stick out to me. 
And there was a really prominent moment for me uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, and it was when I heard the song, uh, well, Chris Tomlin's song, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yeah. And, but it starts with, we stand and lift up our hands. And it was that moment of, uh, I was stood in the congregation and, you know, the worship leader started singing, we stand and lift up our hands. And everyone was there. Everyone was there. And I was like, what is going on? What are these people doing? And it just, it stuck out to me. I was like, that's just so embarrassing, you know. I was, I was like, I just feel uncomfortable for people. You know, we've all been to conferences where we've seen people completely lost in abandonment and worship, where they're engaging all of themselves in worship. But fast forwarding a few weeks on from that situation was that the song came up again. And I was like, you know what, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm, you know, quite selfishly, I was, I'm, I'm going to see what it's all about. I'm going to put my hands up. You know, I started, started small, you know, just a little bit, you know. <laughs> Gradually went, you know, by the end of the song, I was bawling. No, I'm good. But the idea is that our physical posture can change how we are. You know, we hear a lot about the football in this church. I'm sorry. I'm not a football fan, so I can't really relate. But what I do know is that Fulham won the other day. I can't say what the score is, but I know they won. But you don't have people at those stadiums telling you, okay, when so-and-so score, you will stand and cheer. I mean, I've been to a couple of Fulham games with some friends, and uh, they give out clappers. Do you know that? It's kind of a way of getting us to clap, getting us to move. And I thought, that's such a good point, that actually we see in the Psalms there's a whole bunch of different ways that we can engage our whole bodies in worship, okay? So I, just to save you the time, I've taken all nine of them and split them into three sections for you. So we're going to look at them very quickly. The first section is the spoken voice. Firstly, speaking. Worship, right? Psalm 31 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Number two, shouting. Psalm 26, then my heart will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Number three, singing. Kind of, I know we've covered it quite a lot this evening, but singing. Who knew? Psalm 46, sing praises to the Lord. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. That's your voice. We can all do those things, yeah? Great, let's move forward. Physical posture. Number four, bowing. Psalm 95, verse six says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. I don't know about you, there's always something that happens in me that when I get on my knees or when I bow in worship, I'm not talking about the sort of bow you do to royalty. It's a reverence, it's a coming into a place of wanting to be in encounter, but also being intimate with God. You know, there's something that happens within me. It changes my perspective. It makes me want to know God deeper. It makes me want to have a, a closer encounter with him. Number five, standing. You know, Psalm 19, one, uh, verse 120 says, My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. Number six, dancing. Uh, Psalm uh, 149, verse three says, Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with the tambourine and harp. Um, I'm not a dancer, it's not my thing. I know that we've talked about dancing. Um, at my wedding, I only danced my first dance because it's, just, it's really not my thing, honestly. I, I struggle, it's a constant source of me trying to, I don't even know. I need to work on my dancing. If anyone knows how to dance, you know, I'm all ears. Um, finally, our hands, just, I know we've been sat for a while, so hands, everyone's got hands? Yeah, roughly? Great, everyone's roughly got two hands. Um, firstly, playing instruments. 
Psalm 33, verse 2, praise the Lord with the harp, make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre, sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. Um, that actually fills me full of dread, you know, ten strings. I can just about manage six, and even then sometimes it's hit and miss. But, you know, if you can play ten strings, I'd really love to hear from you. Email me, I'd love to have that conversation. Uh, number eight, Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to the God who cries with joy. Come on, clap. Great. There you go. Easy. Number nine, lifting hands. Psalm 63, verse 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. You know, none of these postures of worship are foreign to, our, uh, to worship. They might be foreign to our present experience or our present culture around worship but they're not foreign. We see them all through the Bible. And um, I'm going to come into land. I'm going to use that expression. I'm going to come into land with this. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, exclaims uh, this doxology in Romans 11. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for, and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then straight after that, it goes on to talk about uh, offering our whole bodies in view of God's mercy to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, Paul's position, and I think our position, is that worship is a holistic thing. It's not something that we just do on Sundays. It's not something that we just do through singing. It's engaging our whole selves in worship. So I don't know, I wonder if your heart might be stirred to maybe start thinking about maybe some of the physical ways that you can respond in worship. You know, if it's not your tradition, then maybe try it. I've, I've tried a whole bunch of different traditions of worship in my time. My favorite was actually going to a monastery and not singing and being silent for eight hours. It was a struggle, but it was a discipline. And it was something that called something deeper out of me. So I'll actually finish this. And it's, it's kind of a prayer for what I would love us to embody the church, which is this. Let us always seek to grow in our worship to the Lord. May we always allow his spirit to move in us as he directs our actions and responses in worship. Because the most beautiful and humbling thing is that the God who, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, the God who parted the seas, the very God who sent his son to die so that we may, might live, wants an eternal relationship with us. I don't know about you, that's something that I think needs worship. Wow, that's a real feast. Thanks, guys. It's amazing. I always find when, um, you know, you haven't had a conversation in advance, but actually there's real sense of, like, progression in how all those talks all fit together, all different styles, but God really speaking to us in different ways through each of them, and, and just a sense of progression. There's so many things we could pull out um, of what you've all said, and thank you for the way you prayerfully and thoughtfully uh, just waited on God for, for what he was going to say. And, and I think one of the things that really struck me there was just the way in which worship changes us for worship, that actually we can often think about worship in very pragmatic terms. It was great to hear you talk about pragmatism in worship, but also that actually we, we are formed in worship. And in the church here, we're, we're thinking a lot about formation this year, how we changed by God to worship God and, and I'd love us all to think in response to what we've heard tonight about formation how, how we how we actively joining with God 
for our transformation for the sake of glorification. So this is what we call in theology corporeal action. It's God and man working together for his glory. And something happens to us in worship, which you all three described in different ways, that actually as we worship, we are changed in order that God can be worshipped more fully. We experience revelation and glorification. We experience revelation of God's glory, and then we glorify the God who we know more intimately. And that's really exciting. And I wonder whether we all actively, this term specifically, can think in worship, not just can I sing the songs pragmatically, but actually how, how am I being changed by the songs I'm singing, which, as Matt's described, we're choosing very carefully and prayerfully in order that we might experience deeper revelation of God. And all of those positional things, this morning, as Matt said, we were just encouraging you, not, you don't have to put your hands up in the air, but sometimes when we engage our body, we experience a deeper revelation and a deeper freedom in worship because actually we're all in. So I'd love us to stand now. We're going to worship the Lord. Uh, we've got another 10 minutes or so uh, before our final blessing tonight. We're, n- we're not going to actively do prayer ministry tonight, and the reason is that I, I really feel the response to worship teaching is sh- should be worshipful. Um, and that's not to say it's not prayerful, but I want to encourage you all specifically tonight to let's, let's lean into worship and engage in worship collectively in order that we can put these responses into practice. Obviously, if you want prayer for any specific thing, then we'd still love to pray for you. But I'd love our, our general response tonight to be worshipful. Why don't we just stretch up our hands just, just, to, just to open our bodies up to the Lord and go, ah, oh, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me for your glory. I want to I glorify you, Jesus. I want a revelation of who you are, and I want to be changed in worship so I might be a more engaged glorifier of God in his nature. Georgie, are you going to lead us? Amazing.